thing it's been so far. So good, so good. Hey, before um, I preach this morning, I just want to say a massive thank you to all of you that made last night's going away party for Becky and I so special. And uh, thank you to Moan Augie, who did a lot of the work behind the scenes on that. Thank you to, uh, yeah. But, uh, th and thank you for all the cards you, you gave us. We, Becky and I went home last night and read through every single one of them and cried and all that good stuff. And so, but your words were, I mean, it was so heartfelt and so meaningful. It was a massive blessing. So um, if I'm, if I, there's a lot of reasons why I'm like flying high this morning, but that's, that's one of them. So thank you so much for that. It was really, really good. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, have any of you, just curious, anybody, has anybody really kind of experimented with all the, so lately there's been a lot of like new developments with artificial intelligence, chat GPT, have any of you guys yes. heard of that stuff? I know it's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy around it. Some people think it's, it's, it's the end of the world, the apocalypse is going to happen like really soon. Other people think it's the best thing ever. Students are like, hey, I don't have to write an essay again for the rest of my life. It just takes care of everything for me. Um, but uh, if you haven't heard of ChatGPT in particular, this is not an ad for ChatGPT, but uh, it's kind of like Google. Like you go into Google and you do a little Google search and you can ask Google about anything and it's going to pop up some information and some websites. And ChatGPT is kind of like that, but it's on a whole different level. So you can go in there and not just, it's got the little, the little address or the little bar there, search bar. You type in there whatever you want. If you have a question about something, what does baptism mean? It's going to give you a whole couple paragraphs on what baptism means. But it doesn't just give you information, it does a whole bunch of other things. You can go on ChatGPT and say, write me a poem about how amazing the people of CTK Ferndale are, and it'll give you this beautiful poem that it's going to make this very unique to this church, write you a song, it can write you, it, it can write you an essay, much to the chagrin of, of all the teachers, it can, it can do all kinds of crazy stuff. But one of the things that I, I love the most about it is uh, and students don't use it for that, okay? They've actually discovered, teachers have discovered that you can ask ChatGPT, was this essay written by ChatGPT? And it will let them know. <laughs> but uh, but um, one of the things that I really like about it is that I can go um, find an article or something on the internet, even a book, and I can, I can write in the little address bar, write me a summary of this article. It could be a 50-page, 100-page article, and it's going to spit out this little three or four paragraph summary of that whole thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I was thinking, you know, so this is my second to last sermon, and uh, as a pastor and leader and uh, just someone who cares so much about, about this church and what, what we're all about and just really wanting to see uh, you flourish and thrive. I've been, it's, it's been kind of a struggle going, okay, well, there's a limited amount left of, of preaches. What do I preach on? And I think if I could look back, so I have this folder on my, my laptop. Um, it's simply called Sermons, and it's got every single sermon that I've preached for the last 14 years. And I think if I could take all of those sermons and put them into chat GPT and say, summarize all this, <laughs> I didn't do that. But if I could do that, 
it would probably spit out the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning. And uh, I, as I was just kind of praying, God, what do you want me to say? Like, this, it's like a small window left. First thing I thought I heard him say was, Rich, just talk about me. Lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to do that this morning. And I'm just going to add to what's already happened because, I mean, that lifts up the name of Jesus like nothing else. But I want to read a, a bit of a story this morning in the Bible, and we're going to unpack a, a little bit of John chapter 14. Um, there's not going to be words on the screen today, so if you have a Bible app, um, go ahead and follow along. We're going to be in John chapter 14. And if the, if the Bible, if you were to take the Bible and make the whole thing into a movie with different scenes in it, John chapter 13 to 17 would be one scene. It's not like 13 would be a scene and 14 would be a scene and then, no, 13 to 17 would be one scene in that movie. John 13 begins with Jesus and his disciples. They, they go up to the upper room to share their, their last supper. The scene begins with the disciples. They're all gathering around the table. You can kind of imagine them just kind of coming to the room and and kicking off their sandals and finding a spot around the table. There's probably food, a banquet that's spread on the table. You got guys, Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen that Jesus called three years ago to follow him. They're there. You have Thomas, this guy that's become known throughout history as the doubter, the cynic, the skeptic. He's hanging out there, all set the table. You have Judas, who's going to very soon betray Jesus. He's there. They're all there. And shortly after they've all been seated at the table for dinner, Jesus does something that nobody was expecting. He stands up from the table, takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, and then he begins to go to each one of the disciples, one after another, and wash their smelly, dirty feet, taking the position of the lowliest servant. And then over the next several hours, we don't know exactly how long it was, but as they all eat together, Jesus leaves them with some of the most important truths in, in the Bible. I mean, all the Bible is important, but what he leaves them is going to be so critical for them following him and for us when it comes to following him as well. And, and they're going to get to know what it means to follow him and what it means to be the people that he's created them to be. He tells them that he's going to give them a new command. And this command is not a command to, to go conquer cities and nations. It's not a, a command to go out and con to, to gain as much as you can. It's not a, co a command on how to conduct great church services and programs or, or how to do their best at following a set list of rules and regulations. No, instead he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he goes on to make some other, uh, give some other instructions and make some other promises. He tells them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit so that when he leaves, they're not going to be left alone. They're going to have the Holy Spirit there with them. He tells them that, that if they want to thrive and if they want to flourish in life and produce fruit in life, he tells them the most important thing that you have to do is abide in him. John 15, he tells them, if you don't abide in me, you can't do anything. Without Jesus, he says, you, you, can, do, you can do nothing. And as he teaches them, I imagine that the mood in the room is, is, is quite solemn. 
maybe even a little heavy, not a lot of laughter. Judas has, has told everyone, uh, well, he hasn't told everyone, but Jesus has pointed out that he's, he's going to betray him. And then Judas just kind of makes this, this quick exit under this cloud of suspicion. Jesus has just told Peter that he's about to deny him three times. And as if all of that, I mean, that's a, that's a lot to take in. And as, as if all that wasn't jarring enough, Jesus is also telling them that he's only going to be with them a little while longer. And I imagine that, that Jesus and the disciples were probably in this moment maybe experiencing some of the emotions that we've been experiencing the last several weeks. Um, a goodbye is, is just around the corner. And, and, uh, and, and we don't like to imagine life without those who mean the most to us. Nobody likes to, to do that. And in fact, some people are, are so against imagining life without the people that you love that sometimes families won't even get together to, to craft a will because it's just too difficult, right? Nobody likes goodbyes. Well, most goodbyes. I mean, let's be honest. There's some goodbyes that we all like, right? <laughs> Don't act like I'm the only one. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But, but Jesus sees the worry. He sees the anxiety he sees the loneliness that's, that's kind of settling over the room. Hearts are troubled. His own heart is troubled. And he doesn't skirt around what's happening in the room. That's not who Jesus is. Instead, he speaks straight to it, saying this. Do not let your hearts... Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I've been relying on Becky to do a lot of the crying so far, so <laughs> I don't know. It's going to hit me at some point. Um, do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Life is hard. Change is hard. It's uncomfortable. It's filled with uncertainty, and it can feel like you're walking down a path in the fog. You're not sure if that path is going to lead to the edge of a cliff that you're going to fall out off of. Um, you don't know if that path that's all foggy, is it going to lead to some beautiful, pristine lake? You just don't know. But change is hard, but it's even harder when it involves saying goodbye to people you love and you care deeply about. And Jesus is there with his disciples, and he says to the disciples, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, there's, there's something else. He doesn't just say, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's something else he's, that, that he wants them to do. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And he's asking them to believe. And like we talked about way back in, in uh, week one of this series, he's saying, stand firm on the trustworthiness and the goodness of God. He's saying, even when you can't see or know exactly what's around the next bend in the road, bend in the road, be people of faith, be people of hope. And isn't that just what being a follower of Jesus is, what, what these youth have committed to? They haven't committed to following Jesus and knowing exactly how everything is going to go in the future. They've committed to a life of faith and trust, believing that he's good and that he's, he's truth. And then Jesus goes on, he continues saying, um, he, he gives them the reasons why they can believe. He doesn't just say believe, he, he gives them the reasons why. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
you know the way to the place where I am going. So I, I grew up in a church, and the church that I grew up in, we sang a lot of, uh, we didn't have screens like this. We had hymnals. We had these books, and a lot of you adults will know what I'm talking about. All you students are going, what, you had books in church? Wow. But we had these hymnals, and in these hymnals, we'd have all these songs that we would sing, and they were, most of them were hymns. Some of them were choruses, but, but one of the songs that we would sing uh, was actually taken out of this, this chunk of scripture right here. And in this, this song, the first verse of the song, it talked about how um, what we have down here on earth is kind of like cottages, little silver, a little gold. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But in, the song goes on to talk about how in heaven, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land that will never grow old. That's how the course of the song starts off. And the song had me thinking as a kid. I remember singing the song, and I just remember thinking that Jesus was in the construction business. You know? I just thought, I thought how it went is that he was going to go to the, he went to the cross, that he was going to rise from the dead, and then he was going to ascend back up into heaven. And then when he got into heaven, he was going to get out his hammer and his saw, and he was going to start getting to town, building me a beautiful mansion just over the hilltop. And I thought the verse meant that, you know, for the past 2,000 years, he's been building a mansion, which 2,000 years, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z just bought a, a $200 million home in Malibu, and I thought 2,000 years, that's going to have nothing to do, uh, uh, not going to hold the candle to what God's building for us. But then at some point, I started to think, well, Jesus is God. He built the universe in six days. Um, he doesn't need 2,000 years to build me a house or a mansion when I get to heaven. No, he must be talking about something else. He must be talking about something else. And it turns out that when you take the text, so the Bible was written in two different languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Bible that we have, it wasn't written in English. Maybe a surprise to some of you. It was written in these, these other languages. And Bible translators have taken those languages and, and, and translated it into different, different languages. And so the Bible that we have is a translation of that original uh, Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And so sometimes when you dig a little bit deeper into the, the words and the meaning of the words and the context and, and uh, where, where the word, the, the root of the word, you learn a little bit more about what Scripture is getting to. And it turns out that in this passage of Scripture, there is a more profound and deeper meaning in the text than material possessions like houses and mansions. The word used for house here, so when Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms, that, that word is actually a word picture for the domain of God. Or you could say, the place where God abides. The father's house is his presence. It's his throne room. It's, his, it's the place where he, he dwells. And let me just tell you a little bit about how good his house is. In his presence, his domain, his house, there is an abundance of life. King David said it the best in Psalm 1611. He, he said that you make known to me the path of life. There is in your presence... Or he could have said, in your house, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
And the, and the place that Jesus is talking about is, is so much better than a $200 million mansion on the beaches of Mal, Malibu. It's so much better than anything that we could possibly imagine because this place is the house of God himself. Fullness of joy is there. Pleasures forevermore are there. Abundant life is there. And when Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place, he's not talking about what's going to happen after he ascends up into heaven. He's actually talking to the disciples about what's going to happen the very next day. The very next day. Because you see, after the Last Supper, this moment in John 13 to 17 that describes that whole scene and everything that Jesus was saying during that Last Supper, after that happened, Jesus was going to be betrayed. That very same weekend, he was going to be nailed to a cross. And, and, and he's speaking these words to the disciples, knowing that that's what's coming knowing that he was going to bleed and die for the sins of the world, knowing that the penalty for our sin, which is death, he, he knew that that penalty, he was about to take that on his own shoulders. And then three days later, he was going to rise from the dead where he would emphatically de declare once and for all that death had lost its sting and that he was forever the conquering, sacrificial hero of the story. He's not preparing a place for us so that one day we might experience eternal life. He's already prepared the place for us. He's made a way for us to know God. He's made a way for us to come right into the fullness of his presence today. Today. And, and listen, don't live your life, follower of Jesus, as if eternal life begins the day that you die. No, eternal life begins the day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Yeah. We're not celebrating this morning about something that's going to happen way down the road. No, we're celebrating something that happened the moment that these youth put their faith and trust in Jesus. Abundant life, fullness of joy in the presence of God, pleasures forevermore. You know, I believe that Christianity, especially in the Western world, continues to have some pretty big understandings about what it, what it is that Jesus came to bring. We're still making it all about mansions over the hilltop. And the mansions maybe aren't necessarily mansions of wood and sheetrock and all that stuff. You know, sometimes we think that what Jesus came to bring us is a comfortable life. Sometimes we think, oh, he came so that I could have a, a better stocked 401k, or he came so that I could have the promise of safety. Or we think that he came to bring us a, a good system, a good moral code, a religious sort of system that we could follow and, and live our lives by. Some even think that he came to bring us political power. Some people think he, he came to bring better paying jobs, more friends on our TikTok account, more friends on our Facebook account. He came to bring us a well-run church with good preaching and singing and programs. And even though some of these things are good, they all pale in comparison to what Jesus really came to bring us. They pale in comparison. He came that we might know life, and that life is ultimately found in him. It's found in him. And uh, so yesterday at our going away party, there was a uh, how well do you know the Warner's trivia game? That was a little embarrassing. But <laughs> and one of, the, one, of the questions, one of the questions was about my favorite scripture. And for me, it's like, hands down, Psalm 23, ever since 2018, Psalm 23 has been hands down my favorite scripture. 
And one of the reasons I, I love Psalm 23, and I, I know a lot of you maybe be, might be in the same boat, but one of the reasons I love Psalm 23 so much is because it describes, so when we talk about eternal life, you, most people's minds automatically go to, oh, that means I'm going to live forever. Um, but it's so much more than that. And when you talk about life and Jesus coming to bring life and life to the full, like what exactly is that that you're talking about? And maybe you're here this morning and you don't really go to church. You wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're hearing this talk about life. You're hearing this talk about transformation, how we're raised to life. But you're going, okay, what exactly does that mean when you're talking about life and life to the full? What is that? And I think in my humble opinion that Psalm 23 describes that better than any place in the entire Bible. I think it... It just in a nutshell, it packs it in. This is what life in life to the full is like. David starts with Psalm 23. He starts, he starts it with some of the most countercultural words that you'll ever hear. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Think of just, I mean, just think, imagine with me or think about just for a second with me how opposite that phrase is to the thoughts that have been running through our minds even just this week. I, I lack nothing. No, instead it's, no, I need more stuff. I need a better job. I need more money. I need more peace. I need more joy. I need more friends. I need more love. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. But in the presence of Jesus, the great shepherd, it's, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I could be like Job, who literally lost everything in this life, his family, all of the wealth that he had, he lost it all. And, and you could be like that and have that happen tomorrow, and with Jesus, you could still say, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. One pastor put it like this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals everything. Just think for a second what it would be like for you to be able to sincerely say that with Jesus as my shepherd, with the Lord as my shepherd, I lack nothing. Think about the striving and the anxiousness and the worry that, that gets us just all tied up in knots that would cease if you could really sincerely say, with the Lord as my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. There's such a peace, such a tranquility that's found in Jesus. The entire planet could be spiraling out of control. AI could take over the world, and you're in your bunker. It's all just going crazy out there. Your life might just be a complete mess but when you have Jesus as your shepherd, it's like he's, it's like green pastures, lush green pastures that you're feeding on. You're, 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 it's quiet waters. It's, he's refreshing your soul. This quiet, unanxious, unhurried soul that's not being drained, that's being refreshed. And, and some of you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. I, I got to be honest with you. The last month, I have had, it has been a battle to not go to just crazy, anxious, worry, what the heck, God, with life right now, and to the place where the storm can quickly become so big in my mind that I forget all about Jesus. But I'll tell you, the moment that I make a shift, and I go, oh, I got to get back to Jesus. 
the moment that I tuck in under his shadow, the moment that I, 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 I go to the house of the Lord, so to speak, he just brings peace. He reminds me, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait a second, Rich. The Lord is your shepherd. The one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who's leading you in your family, in your church, he is your shepherd. It's gonna be okay. And it's quiet waters, it's lush green pastures, refreshing my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. In other words, he directs my life so it'll bring maximum glory and honor to him. And does this all mean that life is perfect? Does it mean that it's going to be easy? That I won't face some dark days, some dark times? No, in this world, we will have trouble. It's the promise of God. But there's good news. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I don't have to fear any evil because he's with me. That's life. That is life. He'll never leave me. The devil might try to convince me that he's given up on me, that I've gone too far, that, that I've turned away. I'm all by myself. It's, it's not true. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Instead, what's happening is he's preparing a banquet. Even in the presence of my enemies, he is preparing a banquet of, of, of this filled with blessing and abundance. He's anointing my head with oil so much to the extent that my cup is overflowing with his blessing and with his goodness. This is life. This is what it's like in the Father's house. This is his domain. This is the kingdom of God. All of you youth that got baptized this morning, this is what you're signing up for when you sign up to follow Jesus. It's life. It's not temporary. No, for the follower of Jesus, it's eternal, which is why we can say on our deathbed that surely his goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And where are we going to dwell? In the house, in the Father's house of the Lord forever. Now, it's you and me. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to prepare this place in the future. And yes, sometimes Scripture does have there's, there's more than one thing that it's talking about. And yes, there is a place we believe in heaven that when we die, it, we're going to be in this, we're going to heaven. This incredible promise, this incredible hope, and, and none of us here can imagine just how good it's going to be. And if you want to try to, just, just picture the most incredible moment that you've had in your life where you knew joy, fulfillment, peace, love, whatever— just imagine the most incredible moment that you've had in your life, and you might be getting just a smidgen of what heaven's going to be like. We believe there's a heaven. We believe all that stuff. But, but understand that when Jesus says he's going to prepare a place in the future, he's also saying, I've already prepared a place for you right now through my death and resurrection. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? After Jesus says these things to the disciples in the upper room, they're all a little bit confused. They, they too, were probably thinking mansions and maybe big cities and all that kind of stuff. Who knows? But they're all kind of there in the upper room, and they're, they're maybe scratching their heads, and, and uh, they're all wondering what he's, gonna, what he's talking about. And maybe they all want to ask, but Thomas is the guy that, that speaks up at some point, and he asks the question that's on everybody's mind. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? How can we know the way? Such a good question. Such a good question. How can we know the way? There are some of you in this room today, some of you that are watching online, that have spent your whole 
life asking this question in one way or another. What is the way? How can I know it? My heart is so restless. I'm so dissatisfied with the shallowness of life. I'm so dissatisfied. I've achieved the pinnacle of what my career, what I dreamed that it was going to look like, and I've gotten here, but I'm just still so restless. I've, it's, it's, I've done so well in school and college, and just everything's firing on all cylinders, but I'm still just so, re- so restless. I'm tired of the rat race to just acquire more things. I'm sick of being bound up in fear and addiction. How can I know the way? How can I know the way to peace? How can I have a heart and a soul that is truly at rest? How, how can I know the way to having this thirst inside of me truly satisfied? How, what is the way? How can I know the way? And if you've spent your whole life searching for the answer to this question, your quest ends today. Jesus created the heavens and the earth who knew about you in the day of your birth, the Bible says, from before. He knew about that before the foundations of the earth were even laid. He formed you in your mother's womb. He gives the answer to the question, how can we know the way? And in that, in that upper room, he, he looks at Thomas. He looks at his troubled disciples. And he's looking at you today. And he says this very plainly. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, I'm the way. You want to know the way to all that? You want to know the way to the Father's house? You want to know the way to life and life everlasting? You want to know the way to true, true deep down peace, fullness of joy? You want to know the way? Jesus says, you're looking at the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no better decision, no more important decision that you, than you can make in your life than to, to say, Jesus, I am believe. I believe that you are the way. That's the most important decision that you can make, to trust him, to trust that he's the way, to trust that he is the truth. We live in a world where everything goes as truth. Your truth, my truth. Jesus said, do you trust me enough to believe that I am not only the way, but I am the truth, the one and only truth. It's, it's, it's believing that he's not only the truth, also the life. He is a person who is alive, and he wants you to live your life walking with him, abiding in him, and living in him. That is the place where life is found. Amen? I would love to wrap up by praying for us this morning. Heavenly Father, it's true. It's so true. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I, I thank you so much that you have made a way. You didn't, you, it wasn't an easy path that you marked, had marked out for you to make a way for us to, to know the abundance of the Father's house. Jesus, it was very costly. You went to a cross. You were whipped. You were beaten. You were spit on. You, you had your, your nails in your feet or your, your hands in your feet nailed to a, a rugged jagged cross you did all of that to prepare the way so that we could come right into the fullness of your presence so that we could have life 
so that we could have blessing, so that we could, so that we could be people who know the, a life without lack. We could be people who know what it's like to live abiding in your presence and knowing the, the continual refreshing, rejuvenating power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You came so that we wouldn't have to walk in fear, but so that we could walk in faith and confidence following you wherever you lead. You came so that we could have that banquet spread before us on a daily basis where you, Jesus, are saying, hey, come to me, all you that are thirsty. Don't go searching in the world. You don't have to go searching to stuff. It's going to let you down. You're saying, hey, come to me. I am the banquet. I am the banquet. Come to me and know life and life to the full. God, thank you for that. Thank you that you made a way, Lord, for us to know goodness and your love following us, pursuing us all the days of our lives. Thank you so much for that. Just gonna, I want to have just a moment this morning. Just ask you to keep your, uh, bow your heads, close your eyes, and and I just wonder: Is there anybody here? You're going. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus, and I today want. This is the day. I'm gonna. I want to follow Him. I would love to just take a moment and just as we wrap up our service, just to pray over you. God speaks to you and works and moves in your life. Anybody here? Just just slip your hand up, so, just so I can know. Hey praying for somebody. Awesome, awesome. I see your hands. Amazing. Online, if you're, if you're watching online, you're going, yeah, I, I've been searching. I've been looking for the way. I've been looking for truth. I've been looking for life, and, and, and my, my search just keeps leaving me empty. My search just doesn't, it doesn't quench this thirst that I have deep down inside of me. I'm, today, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. If you're watching online, let us know. Put, just put in the comment section, Hey, today is the day, and we've got some amazing people that are, are, are watching online, and they're, they're going to pray for you, and awesome. Anybody else? You're going, this is the day. This is the moment right here, right now. Awesome. Awesome. I see your hand. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just, this morning, we celebrate we celebrate life, and we celebrate how you are God who brings life. You're God who is at work today, even right now, taking what's dead and bringing it to life. And Jesus, I just lift up every person that has raised their hand here in this building, God, those that are watching online, and I thank you for this moment, God, where they are deciding that they're going to follow you. They're going to put their faith in you. The one who is the resurrection in the life. The one who is the way and the truth. They're going to they're, they're gonna follow you. We thank you so much for that. And Father, I pray, Jesus, um, Lord, that today would just mark a moment in their lives. God, where new things begin to happen. Where a shift took place. So God, we pray that you would walk with them. We pray that, Jesus, they would know that you're walking with them. And we pray, Jesus, that they would know that you are for them and not against them. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing time that we've had together this morning. And we just thank you so much for all that you're doing, God, in each of these, these students that got baptized. And God, thank you for what you're doing in this church. And we just, we just celebrate all that. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Very cool. Hey, if you, uh, if you made a decision today, um, I encourage you to find me at some point.
before this service is done and just let me, or before you leave today, just let me know, hey, I made a decision this morning. There is something about you, you telling someone and just letting that someone know. And, and I would love to just talk with you a little bit more about what that means. I'd love to uh, help you get some people around you that are going to support you and love you and, and care for you and walk with you on this journey. We are going to stand up and uh, sing one last song. Don't forget, uh, there are a bunch of donuts out there in the foyer. And uh, yeah, we're going to just a way of saying happy Father's Day to the dads. The donuts are not just for the men, though. The donuts are for everybody. So grab one donut. And if you want more, just stick around. There might be some left over. But um, we invite you to stick around and just celebrate Father's Day with everybody. God bless, and have an awesome, awesome day.